1: blue wire Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. joined as always by Nick Philato, fresh off that short-term IL, back on the field firing off the ball. We saw him in practice. We said, this guy's got his burst back. This guy's got his agility back. He's cutting on a dime. And today we're here to do the second part of the Big Blue Banter mailbag. The pre-draft mailbag is what we're going to call this bad boy. We dropped the first one. We had to take a little break. We didn't want to overload Nick's workload because, again, he's working back. But now he's up. We're here. We're going to dive right back into this thing without any wasted time. So let's do it. Start with David Goodman, who had the wherewithal to ask a very funny question last pod but he also had a serious question he wanted to ask so we're going to ask him that now and that is in round two say we've already drafted Devonte smith or Jalen Waddle in round one would you rather go edge or offensive guard if the grades are exactly equal
2: so i think what we have to do here is find two players whose
1: grades are exactly equal i won't be able to do that so you might be able to i don't have an edge anywhere near I'm not going to have any edges who I think okay, are so Less I, like Ojolari, I guess. We'll go
2: with, J, we'll go with Jason Owe, all right? Okay. I think we'll go with a, Jason Oa And for an offensive guard, I think you got to look at, for me, it would be a Landon Dickerson. Yeah. But it, it would be easy. I would go Owe because Dickerson's extensive injury history. Mm-hmm. So if we just remove all that, kind of pull it back a little bit, which position would I rather address if the Giants go there? I think, I mean, I honestly kind of believe the interior offensive line might be more of a priority than even the edge position. But this one's a little bit difficult, man. So which one is deeper? I feel like you would have to go edge because I feel like the interior offensive line is deeper than the edge class. Because like I said, like we've said several times, you can go with an Aaron Banks from Notre Dame, a Quinn Miners from Wisconsin Whitewater. Mm -hmm. You can possibly land a Wyatt Davis from Ohio State a little bit later in the draft in the third Kendrick round possibly the fourth. Kendrick Green yep you're right the kid from Illinois even somebody a little bit later like a Trey Smith somebody that I'm not particularly high on but I do believe medicals aside he does have a lot of intriguing traits mainly just power in his hands pop and strength and I wish he was a little bit more fluid and a better mover so and then there's Ben Cleveland a guy from Georgia that I also appreciate and I think he's a better a really good athlete for somebody of his massive size so I would have to go with Edge in that spot
1: I'm gonna tackle this question the same way Nick did. I'm going edge if the grades are exactly equal. I'm taking out any player names because I'm just assuming that, you know, we don't it's not important here. It's what you said. The grades are equal. What would you rather go? It's edge for me because only because interior offensive line I think is deeper by far in this class. It is, yeah. It's the only reason, because I would want both to be addressed. If you told me edge or interior offensive line in round two and then neither position will be drafted no matter what in this weird hypothetical situation for the rest of the draft I would go offensive line so I think they can get away much easier next year for this next season with what they have at edge right now versus what they have at offensive line it's my personal opinion I know people disagree they'll say what do we mean we have Shane Lemieux and Will Hernandez what do we have at edge well I'll say that I don't trust Shane Lemieux and I don't really trust Will Hernandez either it can be converting to a new position out of the blue in twenty twenty one. So for and I definitely don't trust Zach Fulton. So for me, I would say if you can only take one and zero offensive line, but I'll go edge because I think they can get an IOL later. And
2: if you have a glaring liability on your offensive line, what do you think defensive coordinators are attacking with their twists and studs and their blitz packages mm-hmm. and everything? And we've seen that before. We've seen that a lot. Oh yeah. In think about twenty nineteen <laughs> with John Jalapeo. He was getting attacked. Oh, I gonna Nate go Solder getting attacked. <laughs> I mean,
1: Bobby Hart, Eric Flowers. <laughs> we can well, go that, every year. I'm have. not even bringing up free man. I'm, pre-Gettleman. <laughs> Pre-Gettleman, I'm yeah. talking
2: about in the Gattelman. Patrick era. Omame for four games. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you do not want to have that liability, and if you do have that liability, you're going to have to scheme to protect that liability, and that's going to hinder your ability to really maximize those weapons that you just acquired to help kind of get Daniel Jones and that Josh Allen year three.
1: Yep, spot on. All right, Peter F. asks. Winning championships in today's NFL requires a top-tier offense. I completely agree with you, Peter, and I oh, hate people who now. disagree because they're wrong. Giants added Galladay, should have a healthy Saquon, but lost Kevin Zeitler for 2021. If they can add a receiver and an IOL in the first three rounds of this draft, where do you project their offense to land after finishing 31st in 2020?
2: You know what this comes down to, Dan. It comes down to Jason Garrett, man. Sadly. Sadly. That's that. That's what kind of makes this question a little difficult, Peter F. How much is he evolving? What are we going to see that's going to be a little bit different from someone like Jason Garrett, who was very unimaginative last year? So, I mean, I would have hoped that it would jump into the top 15 and hopefully even a top 10, but then you need significant strides from your offensive coordinator and from your third-year quarterback. And you also need that offensive line to hold up. Let's just say they land one of those interior offensive linemen and that guy ends up being a stud and then you can have Shane Lemieux and Will Hernandez battle it out for that other position right well I'll throw Zach Fulton in there go ahead I don't really have high hopes though so (laughs) ideally you just want them to get into the top 15
1: yeah I think that's a fair projection and a fair goal to get them into the top 15 I think just to answer his question like if you take a receiver and an IO line in the first three rounds I'm sorry interior offensive line in the first three rounds I think in not a best-case scenario, but the likely scenario is only one or two is going to be an impact player in year one. You can't just expect, even though it's a deep class on the interior offensive line, I don't think you can expect someone to come in and be an impact interior offensive line immediately as a rookie in round two or three. There are some guys who could do it, but I don't think it's something you expect. And as far as receiver goes, I think you can expect it. If you get Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith, your expectation should be that they can make an immediate impact, but it's not a guarantee. There's Henry Ruggs there's Jalen Rager so it's not a guarantee it's just something you can't expect to happen having said that I'm with Nick it really hinges down to two things Jason Garrett changing some of his ways I don't unfortunately think he's going to retool his whole system which in my opinion does need to be retooled it's a very very bad system I think it's one of the worst systems in the NFL from a philosophical standpoint in the sense that his goal on offense seems to be to get 10 yards and three downs which is in my opinion a very backward style of thinking and it's very bad and I hope that All the changes they made on the coaching staff can change that But I'm not confident because in the end it is his offense and that's kind of how these jobs work The offensive coordinator still gets to decide most of what happens there And the other thing would be if he can start to use more route combinations that break toward the sideline or up the field rather than back toward the quarterback routes that break back toward the line of scrimmage and quarterback are should be really used sparingly, in my opinion. You can run some four curls occasionally if you want to trick a defense. And again, if you use it more sporadically, like I've seen other teams do, it will catch a defense off guard and you can pick up a free eight yards. But when it's so consistent in your playbook, corners sit on that like we've seen, and that turns into tip passes, sometimes interceptions. Generally speaking, though, just think about this from a 30,000-foot view. Why would it ever make sense to have routes breaking backwards toward the line of scrimmage where if you catch the ball, you don't have to pivot, restart all your momentum, and then move back upfield rather than toward the sideline where you can take one quick step and then hit upfield or, more importantly, breaking vertically where you can catch the ball and then run for more yards. So all that needs to change. If he does change some of it, I think they can be a top 15 offense. If Daniel Jones takes a big step, I think they can be a top 10 or 5 offense if both those things happen. Jason Garrett changes a lot of what he does and Daniel Jones takes a big step, because I do believe that they're not that far off from a talent standpoint outside of the coordinator and outside of the quarterback. Now, if those things take a big step forward, then you're talking about probably in my mind like a top five, top ten potential offense. I really do believe that. If they take that's two big ifs, but if and if one of two things happens, let's say that, Nick, then I think what you said is right, top fifteen.
2: Yeah, and I also think in terms of those curls, you can use those deep curls as routes to put defenders into conflict. Say if you are in a three-by-one set, your number mm-hmm. three receiver closest to the line of scrimmage runs a deep curl directly at the safety, turns around, occupies the safety. The number two receiver runs a deep post behind that safety, frees him up, and he's going to have leverage against whoever is in man covered underneath that apex defender. And then on that number one receiver, can just take his cornerback streaking deep down the field. So now you have a one-on-one matchup to the outside, and you also have a one-on-one matchup in breaking in the middle of the field with that safety being sucked up from that deep curl. One of those three guys is going to be open You know, unless the corners execute perfect technique in man-to-man, and which, with the skill set of these wide receivers, is probably going to be difficult. And at the very least, you're going to have a one-on-one opportunity for Kenny Galladay. Obviously, it depends. Or Jalen
1: Waddell, Devontae Smith.
2: Yes. Obviously, some of this depends on the defense that is being run, but you can use those curls in that manner to really kind of suck up defenders and occupy them and put that defender in conflict, make him make a decision so... Whether, hey, this is going to be a 10-yard game to a curl, we'll take that. If not, we're going to have a one-on-one uh, streaking across the middle of the field with a superior athlete against your defensive back who knows his route. So that's that. those are the ways you want to use that. Didn't see that enough from Jason Garrett. We just saw spacing concepts. We need that. Right. That is what needs to change.
1: Yeah, I think to be clear, when I meant use them sporadically, what I meant was yeah, not yeah. what you were talking about. I'm oh, fine absolutely. with that. Yeah. I meant like the four curls to the sticks type crap that we saw far too often of. And in general, I will say that I would rather mesh and crossers than curls in general, Just think it's a much higher upside play and has pretty much the same floor to me, maybe a slightly lower floor, if anything. But again, like you said, there are ways to use it in conjunction with other routes that make it a viable play and a nice check down option. So we'll see what happens there. Um, Let's go to the next one here. It's Mr. Cameron who asks, how many more years do you think we have to have or what we will have of the saquon was or wasn't the right pick at number two argument
2: <laughs> i think this is probably going to persist i mean think about it giant fans they can just like fans in general they bring back stuff from 20 years ago so it could be something that is lingering around for quite some time in my opinion
1: yeah i think you're spot on this argument will last forever with giants fans i want to make that clear all i'm going to say to this besides that is this if you ask 31 uh, uh, unobje- uh, you know unbiased, objective analysts of 31 other teams if they think this was the right pick, and they have a, and there are smart people who talk football, they're all going to give you the same answer. So, ask yourself this: take a step back. If all 31 other teams think one thing of this decision to take this running back at number two and not trade the pick or not take another position, but your fan base has half arguing one way, half arguing the other. What do you think's the right side there? That's kind of what I'll leave this one at because it's really only Giants fans who are arguing this over. Uh, let's be honest here, folks. All right. Ben Bat 37, which for some reason when I read this, reminds me of Bat Country. Remember that from the Madden games? It's si yeah. Dude, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a low-key, huge Ben Sevenfold fan.
2: That's a band bad that I have with that, that heart,
1: heart impression. Oh, right well, it wasn't
2: great, but... <laughs> But, you know, I, I'm a big Avenged Sevenfold fan, man. Going back to backcountry, beasts in the heartless, sees the day. Yes. I, mean, they're,
1: they're... I don't think it was that bad. It's it's terrible, but not as bad as maybe.
2: It's it's I Drive, though. He's saying, I drive, I, I, oh, he, I, just thought I, of I drive through the night. All right, nice. If yeah. so you did
1: it low, it's easier to do an impression when you're talking Absolutely. Low. Let me just yeah. keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let me say this. Assuming they stay at 11 and are hellbent oh look at that that sounds like hellbent like an Avenged Sevenfold type isn't that a song hellbent uh, I don't know if hellbent's Something a like song hell, but they're they're very demonic they're using hell for sure in their lyrics Absolutely. On an ed- if, they, if they're hell bent on an edge at 11 would you rather take Jason O with the upside but pure projection Quitty Pay solid but unspectacular, or Jalen Phillips with the talent and production but injury concerns I'm
2: swinging for the fences baby I'm swinging for the fences. I think so. I'm going to go with Jalen Phillips here.
1: Yeah, I'm going Jalen Phillips, no doubt about it. But I will say this when it comes to Phillips, everybody talks about talent and production. There, it's only one year of production, which I think is extremely important. That no, that not enough people are talking about. Like to me, it's not just the all-field stuff. It's also that he wasn't really a dominant player before this past season, and Miami had decent a decent you know edge on the other side of him with Quincy Roche. So. I don't know. I still love him, and I think it's obvious when you watch the tape that he has those tools that That's you can sick. tell or like what you want in those edge guys. So he's still the pick for me. But I will say this. I don't think he's anywhere close to a Chase Young-type prospect.
2: No, neither do I. But to me, it all comes down to the traits and what you see on the tape, and he yeah. kind of has that full package of yep. things that he can do.
1: But on the same time, with that said, like I said, I don't think he's anywhere close to Chase Young prospect. I do think Rashawn Slater is close to a Tristan Wirfs or whatever type prospect. I do think Jalen Waddell is close to whoever the number one receiver was in that class. So, you know, it's, that's kind of where I just fall off the cliff on edge. Like, if I'm not getting an elite blue chip edge, I don't want one at 11. I really don't. Um, but we'll move on. What do the Giants do if the worst case scenario plays out with the first 10 picks? This one's from Greg, by the way. He says, the big three wide receivers all go off the board. Slater Sewell off the board Micah Parsons off the board Kyle Pitts is off the board board I'm sorry and let's assume DG doesn't want to trade down who's the pick at 11 Jesus, if that happens then there's got
2: to be quarterbacks around to where a trade down would happen so DG would he would really have to be you really have to epitomize DG if if he's not going to trade down in that specific scenario, especially because there's a lot of teams who want to trade down, like the Falcons right. and the Broncos. You know, ostensibly, who knows how true it is. So all three wide receivers are gone. Parsons is gone. Suell Slater gone. Pitt's gone. And then say three of the quarterbacks. Right. This is interesting. I mean, I would look at someone like I mean we brought this up, Elijah Vera Tucker, or a Patrick Sertan. Or somebody along yeah. those lines. I think that would be the the course of action to kind of go because I think those are good players who can help the Giants, especially Vera Tucker, at a position of need because he can slide into guard. That was his right. predominant position, but he has played tackle. So if that pair does fail, you have that as a fallback plan, and it gives your team the versatility on the offensive line. So I would look at Elijah Vera Tucker for whatever reason that uh, he does not want to trade back. I also, in this scenario, if they couldn't trade back, I think you entertain Edge too.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say, if it's me, Greg, I'm probably going with Sertan or Vera Tucker. <laughs> Though, I'm a little intrigued by like the idea of... It's crazy, but Elijah Moore. I, I've got to be honest. I'm a little intrigued by the idea of Elijah Moore. I, love, I don't think Elijah Moore is being properly mocked right now. I think he's being mocked a lot in the end of the first round. I think he should be, be being mocked in the first 15 or 20 picks. I, there's not too much different to me from Devontae Smith than Elijah Moore i just honestly believe that i really you watch him and you know it and we had scott barrett on by the way who was on the podcast last time from an analytical standpoint he said elijah elijah morse's favorite prospect in this class uh from a value standpoint he said from an analytical standpoint like what he did during the 2020 season in eight games from a statistical standpoint is basically unheard of like the, the amount of production he had in just eight games is out of control and yeah some of that was schemed but not all of it so for me I'd probably go there, but you said who is the pick? I think the the, what the Giants will do here because that's probably what you're wondering too, Greg. Is without a doubt go with their favorite edge. Take, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So that's what they'll do. All right, Mike Jerky asks, or he says the Pant He says a report says the Panthers are a potential trade down team because Scott Fitterer, the new GM, is bringing that Seahawks approach to Carolina. They recoup all the—a trade down would let them recoup all of the capital they lost in the Sam Darnold trade, and then some. And they could get their guy if Darnold doesn't pan out. Shouldn't the Giants have a similar goal or approach in this draft?
2: You're not going to find us at this podcast arguing trade down, Mike. I mean, we're— or big trade down at the value doesn't fall to them. But that's just not what Dave Gettleman does. He has a more old-school approach in terms of how he values the picks, and he does kind of fall in love with players. So I'm not hopeful that that would happen, but I would like for this to be more of an option.
1: Yeah, again, like Mike, you, you probably know this. I guess you asked the question, but you probably know this about both Nick and I at this point if you listen to the podcast. It's that we're definitely in support of what you're suggesting here, which is trading down um, pretty much all times. There's going to be very few times I don't want them to trade down <laughs> be completely honest with you so yeah i mean you're right i mean you want more dart throws this is an imperfect process anyone who claims to know the draft or knows like they're going to get great value at every pick is just lying to you or is too inflated of their own ego their own ability to evaluate these players and ultimately this is very hard to predict especially in this year when they have so much less information on these players no day, you know I'm, I'm sorry no combine they didn't have a chance to bring them in for private visits they didn't have maybe the same chance to go watch the game because of the limited access to some games to meet see the players after the game you know some of these scouts are literally their job is to go to the bars the, the, the popular college bars and watch these kids and these prospects and how they interact with the bars after the games to see what kind of you know off-field stuff they might bring to the table and what kind of character they are so there's so much missing that i think it's going to be even more of a crapshoot this year so i do agree with you for sure
2: honestly it's it's kind of wild a lot of scouts that's what their job is they're kind of like private investigators where they go to like the diners that these guys hang out with and talk to like
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
2: About how certain players are, it is kind of nuts, but that's yeah. a big Smart. part of their job. You need to have a lot of personability in order to be a scout. You Where was the staff. Giants
1: guy when DeAndre Baker was the pick? Where was <laughs> the guy watching I, DeAndre Baker day in and day out? I, I honestly <laughs> think
2: they were aware of it and they thought they could correct it. Because because I, I heard yeah. from guys in the draft community who are just like us who just covered the draft say that DeAndre Baker it wasn't character concerns, but it was like work ethic concerns yeah. and stuff along like that, like um. Like, the fact that he fell asleep in, in meetings with the Giants, Which showed stuff like up that, in year one, yeah. Which showed up in year one, so Before I think I think they were aware of it, but they thought they could get it out of him, and they probably got to know the kid at least somewhat, at least you would imagine, and it just, it just didn't end up working out, obviously. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know, since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Dan, Will asks, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much would you save Dave Gettleman's 2018 draft blunder haunts the team today?
1: Ah, all right, all right. Let's back this one up. So this is, for those who know him, 27 on Twitter, known now as some miscalculations in 2018. Uh, Will, my buddy off the pod, off Twitter, actually know Will separate from Twitter. So we are friends. He is very, very harsh on Dave Gettleman on Twitter. Very, very harsh on Saquon Barkley pick on Twitter. It's one of the worst things I think that's happened to him as a fan, I feel like. I think it's even in his draft, in his Twitter bio, he says, I'm still recovering from blundering the number two overall pick on a running back. So keep that all in mind. Will, obviously, you're not going to, yeah, I feel like this is a trap here. Honestly, (laughs) I do feel like this is a bit trappy. But I'm going to answer it anyway, because why the hell not? Um, In my mind, I would say, and some people will argue like, it's a good thing they drafted Barkley because otherwise they would have drafted Darnold or Rosen but Darnold just got back three draft picks including a second rounder no one's trading anything for Barkley right now in my opinion and the problem with Barkley is not only does this have a chance to hurt them in the early part of the draft decision to draft him it could really hurt them if they give him 20 million dollars a year or 18 million or 19 million a year and he gets hurt again or he turns into a player that's not an effective running back. So it's the second contract, which could be even scarier. So with all that said, and in my mind, I hate the people who said the Giants couldn't have traded that pick as if the Jets wouldn't have accepted the number two. The Jets literally traded from six to three to get Darnold and then gave three se- early second-round picks. And then it was like, the Jets won't trade with the Giants. Yeah, well, then they did it two years later for Leonard Williams. Like, nobody's not trading with nobody. Somebody, if the Giants had literally been on the phone and said, we like that, we, we see that deal, you're considering, we'll give you the number two pick for it. It's done. It's a done deal. The Jets are taking number two. And I won't hear anything of that. So to me, if they could have made that trade down, instead of because my option would have been, everyone knows, I was on Rosen or Darnold there. And I was a little higher on Rosen than Darnold because I thought Rosen was more of a short sure thing. And I, I'm happy you'll back me up on this in a second, Nick, because I think uh, I take a lot of crap for that Rosen evaluation, even though a lot of us were on that. And I know you will might agree with me in a second because we've talked about this off pod. But if the upside was to trade down and then they get Quinton Nelson, where the Colts of so Quinton Nelson plus those three early second round picks, then that draft blunder for me would probably be seven, eight, nine, ten range for me. Honestly, I don't know if I can put a number on it, Will but I'll put it at minimum seven because this roster right now with Quinton Nelson plus three early second round picks, regardless of if they hit on even just one of those, is a much better roster now than with Saquon Barkley. Let's all be honest about the situation.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting. I liked. uh, I mean, I thought Josh Rosen threw a beautiful ball coming out. My concerns, I guess, would have been with him. Would have been the character stuff, just because you know, oh, he's a millennial. How interested is in football? And those are stuff that you can't glean from the film. But the film showed a kid that was just getting killed by Colton Miller being his left tackle all the time, but who threw. The ball with excellent touch, accuracy, and pretty damn good arm strength. It just did not work out in the NFL for him. But for me, I wanted them to trade down there. Because you know there was a demand, especially on draft day. Because consensus, a lot of people thought that it was going to be Sam Darnold that was going to Cleveland. What happened was Baker Mayfield. So now the Giants hold the second pick. And everybody loves Sam Darnold. They could have just listen to all of these calls to trade down for people people would have given the house the farm but Dave Gettleman didn't even entertain that so that's something that kind of really stuck with me and I did not like and I love Saquon Barkley as a player but right now like you've already alluded to he might if he comes back and say he has like 1500 yards and he has you know over 10 touchdowns and he and he shows that he's he's back you know from his injury it's probably going to reset the running back market eventually and that's putting him at what, like 17 million a year, 18 more, that's million what, a year? McCaffrey, yeah. McCaffrey makes 16 million a year right and now. And
1: he'll get more than that. And he's
2: going to get more than that. He'll probably reset it. And that's not an ideal situation, especially for somebody who has injuries in the past. So, I mean, how much has it set it back? Like, I, I think the Giants, I would say this, Dan. I think the Giants would be in a better position if they traded down, if they took that trade and they traded down to six got Quentin Nelson than what they are right now plus the three second round round picks and who knew I think they went with Kamoko Ture Braden Braden Smith Smith, and I don't remember the other one it might have been Tywin Lewis was it Tywin Lewis it
1: might have been I don't remember it wasn't Leonard I just know that
2: yeah Tywin Lewis I think his name was the the Ohio State linebacker edge type of guy might have been him but either way I would have much rather have done that I think that would have been the wiser thing especially because if you remember at that time people will forget that 20 18 roster was devoid of talent. There was so many holes on that yes. roster, and they needed to replenish that roster, and it just did not happen. So yes, I would I would have to um if I had to put a number on it, I guess I would say a uh I don't know, a six or a seven, but I think sure. I'm just trapping myself right there. You yeah, know? I think that's just a total trap question from our friend Will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
1: let me drop it down to seven so I don't get all the freaking haters and my mentions that I have no interest in dealing with. But I will add a couple of things to what you said. Like you mentioned the greatest point you made there is that that 2018 roster Bene- would have benefited more than ever before from multiple sw- swings at, at players that can help them. But one thing it won't benefit from is one running back. One running back is never going to change your roster. And how do we know that? Because there's literal proof of it. He won rookie of the year, almost racked up 2,000 yards, had tons of touchdowns and big plays, and they won five games. So it literally didn't help them that year. And obviously, there's been the injuries since. But one other thing you mentioned, like, if you're true, like let's say you you, you don't get to the phone quick enough and the Colts make that deal to go from six to three with the Jets and the Jets are at three. Like you said, you, may, you brought up a great point too, Nick. Because Baker Mayfield was not expected to go one and the Jets were really thrilled to have the opportunity to get Darnold at three. They said that when they drafted Darnold. Like, we never thought we had any chance to get him at three. We were stunned. That means that a savvy GM, somebody who's savvy in running the Giants at the time, could be able to be like, oh my god, Baker Mayfield went, Darnold's still on the board, let's start calling every single team and see. And maybe he gets the Jets to pull a Bears uh, 49ers type situation where the Bears were sitting at three, the 49ers were at two, and the 49ers moved back one spot with the Bears so the Bears could make sure no one jumps them for Mitch Trubisky, just like in this scenario, the Jets would make sure no one jumps them for Sam Darnold. And now you just acquire extra picks and you still get your Saquon Barkley at three because no one's taking Saquon Barkley at two but the Giants that year. So it's just a lot of factors that go in there. It's the worst decision he's made at his GM by far, in my opinion. It's not even close, and he's had some really questionable ones. But that is, without a doubt, the worst decision he's ever made. Um,
2: and, and, and both of us say this too, Dan, with the qualifier, that we want Saquon Barkley to be the best running back yes. in the NFL. Well, I mean, obviously no, want him to be great. Like, <laughs> Hall of know. Famer. Like, yeah. I would love that. To happen, but it's but just, we can also
1: objectively look at the yeah, pick
2: yes, and, let, and take the fan out of and it. And take all the context into that because yes. it is broad. There's a lot to that pick sure. and that decision.
1: Yep, exactly. So that's that. I can't believe we did it. You probably trapped us, Will. We're probably freaking screwed here. And you're gonna, we're going to get a lot of hate we don't want. But you know what? I did this for you, Will, because we're friends off the podcast, and you deserve to get one of these in. Uh, let's see the next one. Nick asks, rank the 10 most important Giants for the 2020 season.
2: Yeah, so this is an interesting one. I think you got to go with Daniel Jones. you got to go with Saquon Barkley. Is that two? Yes. Okay. Andrew Thomas, three. Okay. I think Kenny Galladay now is four. And this isn't in order. I'm just naming. Five, Leonard Williams.
1: That's not in order. Yeah. Okay. Six,
2: Blake Martinez. Does he want us to do an order?
1: I don't know. I think <laughs> so. He said rank
2: them. Okay, I'm going to put the ten out there. Seven, I would say James Bradbury, eight, Jabril Peppers, 9, Logan Ryan, and then 10, Adoree Jackson. And that leaves out Sterling Shepard, Dexter Lawrence.
1: Did you say Leonard Williams? I
2: did say Leonard Williams. That leaves out Sterling Shepard, Dexter Lawrence, uh, Darius Slayton, and, uh, Will, Hernandez. Will Hernandez. Who? But it also depends on what are we talking about. Like, who are the 10 most important players that we need to that we need to stay who they are or 10 players that we need to progress because then it's yeah. going to be like shane lemieux and will hernandez let's look at it like this
1: i'll ask you it like this the 10 most important players to them having a successful season
2: oh okay so i think it would be will hernandez and shane lemieux would might be the top two other than <clears throat> daniel jones matt parrot daniel i think daniel jones is one no matter easy. what easy yes And then those three, offensive linemen, I would say. And I think you got to throw Andrew Thomas in there. I'm going to go under the assumption that Blake Martinez, Leonard Williams, and James Bradbury are already there. Along with Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers. But I'm not going to put a Dory Jackson in there. Because I'm going to throw a Dory Jackson in as, what would that be, five?
1: So we have, you so far have, four offensive linemen, Daniel Jones, and a Dory Jackson. Six. Yes.
2: And then I would like to put Dexter Lawrence in there. I'm not going to say that he's excluded. I think he still has stuff to prove. So that would be 7. Evan Ingram would be 8. Saquon Barkley I'm going to put in there just because you're coming off the injury. That would be 9. And then I'm going to (laughs) say, this one's a little weird, but I want to bring one of these edges in that are coming off the injury. And I think Lorenzo Carter is a more dynamic player or has the potential to be a more dynamic player than O'Shane Zimena. So he would be my 10th. It's not in order, but those are the guys that if they can kind of unlock and scrape the to, you know scrape their potential the giants could be in a really good position
1: that's a good that's a great list i'm going to do the same thing but not in order And i'm going to go with the following one daniel jones that's the only one i'll put in order that's obvious i'm going to put all five of the project starting linemen including nick gates in there, not just excluding. Yeah, him i should have done that him, right? because mm-hmm. we don't know for sure if he's guaranteed to definitely be back and he's super important they can't afford for him to not be good so that's six right there I'm going to also throw, as my seventh, the Dory Jackson, because I still think he has something to prove, but the upside is obviously there. And because why is he so important? If they can get that second lockdown boundary corner, this is a whole new defense. I'm also going to put Darnay Holmes then in the mix, because Cast I think it. if they can get that slot locked down, he makes a whole new defense. So what am I at to now? I'm at 7, 8 or not? What am I at? 6 plus those two? 8.
2: 5, Daniel Jones, yeah, Darnay six. Holmes, Dory Jackson. you got two more.
1: So i got two more. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with... Odin because I think there's some sneaky, untapped upside there. And I think if he can give them a lot more juice than they had last year off the edge, that could be a huge advantage if they didn't have last season. So I'm going to throw him in there as my ninth. And then for my tenth, I'm actually going to go here. It's an interesting one for the tenth. Important. For somebody
2: we both forgot.
1: But I want you to say yours, and then I'll bring it up. I'm going to have to go just looking at the roster with Saquon Barkley because okay. the difference between Barkley and Gallman is just so high. Yeah. And the difference between Barkley and Devontae Booker is just so high, and I don't think they're going to use an early pick on a running back, so it's really going to be Booker or a late-round guy or Barkley, and it's just such a stark contrast. So I would put Barkley in there as well.
2: The guy we forgot yeah. has to be kind of thrown into it, and I would probably drop Evan Ingram off to Adam would be Xavier McKinney.
1: Sure, sure. Great point.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yes, he's somebody who kind of gets lost because, man, I got to say, this is a good problem to have, but this secondary has a lot of potential. Whoa, whoa, it has dude. a lot of potential, and it has the right guy who is putting them in the right positions in Patrick Graham.
1: Yeah, I said it the other day on Twitter. I can't remember the last time I went into a season thinking the Giants could have the best unit in the NFL at anything, and I think that this secondary could be the best unit. And part of that is because they're the deepest, but I do think they could be the best unit in the NFL overall, including depth and contrition and factoring all those things in.
2: Absolutely. And not even like you have guys like Julian Love who can play multiple yes. positions in the secondary. That kind of versatility, that's, uh, that's, that's big for this defense as well. All righty, Dan. We have a question. I believe this might still be from Nick because there's not a name there. And if it's not, well, then <laughs> here we go. Dan, if Devonta Smith is on the board at 11, do you still think they reach for an edge or would they take him?
1: Great question, great question. I think they will take Devontae Smith if he's on the board at 11. Devontae Smith was my prediction for who the Giants would take at 11. I know I, Back in January, I know I've said this multiple times. I'm going to stick with it. I think that even though they put all this time to edges, if Devontae Smith was on the board, they would declare him to be too good of a value in their minds to go edge instead. And they would then, in my mind, consider doing what another person who brought up a question earlier suggested, which is trade back up into the end of round one to take their edge. Yeah, man,
2: uh, you're not gonna find a lot of fight from me because no. I'm I'm a big fan of Devonta Smith, which is huge because I'm not big in drafting receivers super yeah. high, and Devonta Smith is my third receiver ranked. Right. Yeah, I still like him, and that speaks to his ability on the field and his ability off the field that's something that I feel like we don't talk about enough and it's just heralded by people and some of that's coach speak sometimes but I've heard that from like people who aren't in the program but are around the program there's like dude this kid is he has an insatiable appetite for football so you really like that and I think he would be a good addition here.
1: Completely agree with that. Um everything you said there. All right. Adam Johnson says, "Hey fellows, if the Giants do indeed draft one of those edge or I'm sorry, one of those wide receivers in the first, and draft an edge in the second, do you still think there will be an O-lineman there in round three that would have the ability to start? If so, who are some of the options you would like to see there?
2: Uh, we talk a lot about interior offensive linemen, and we're just going to go with offensive linemen in general. But to start on the interior... I think Aaron Banks, Ben Cleveland, guys we went over in the last podcast, I think both of them could be there. I'm, I, I'm not 100% sure if they will, but I think both of them have the upside to start. Quinn Miners, even though he's coming from Division Three, might be a slow transition, but he's somebody who I feel like could possibly start as well. Showed a lot down at the Senior Bowl. May need a couple weeks to acclimate, but could kind of come in and take the job over by you know week six or something like that if Will Hernandez or Shane Lemieux continue to struggle and then you can even go with guys who I'm not super high on Trey Smith and Deontay Brown two guys who are a little bit more immobile uh Deontay Brown is literally you look at him like I cannot believe a guy can be that big but he's just massive offensive guard from Alabama Trey Smith offensive guard from Tennessee wish he was a little bit more balanced but still he has a lot of redeemable traits power striking ability incredible upper body strength, all those kinds of things. So I think those guys are are potential options. Ideally, I would not want Brown and Smith to be starting, so I guess it doesn't really fit in to what you're trying to say. But if you want to extend it to round four and say guys that you can develop to possibly start later in the season, I think those two would fall into that category.
1: Yeah, and I'll just throw in Illinois' Kendrick Green into the mix. A guy I really like, I think is going to be a really good value. And one other guy, because the rest are probably more likely to be Two, I'm sorry, round two, and they won't have an option. But there's a chance because of what happened, kind of with the back end of his career and the little, all the unknowns, that Walker Little might be there in round three. There's like a decent chance I think he might be there, and I would take a swing on somebody with his kind of upside in round three as well.
2: Yeah, he's an offensive tackle too. I was about to dive into some of the offensive tackles. Okay, and he and
1: and he's probably my favorite of that group. You were doing just the interior guys. I was,
2: but I want to get into tackles too. Walker Little might be the favorite of that group because. He opted out of 2020, tore his ACL in the first game of 2019 yeah. after just putting great tape out there. But in 2018, he was like, oh, wow, you've got to check out that tackle from Stanford. He's incredibly talented. He's very, very long, good movement skills. You have to wonder, is he going to be able to move as well after the injury? His pro day suggests that he did. So I think he's definitely somebody that I would like to get at that value. I just don't know if Dave Gentleman or the Giants are going to go with a strict tackle, man. Yeah, you're right. And that, that's something that... And I've heard a lot of good things about Brady Christensen... I haven't watched his tape extensively outside of the game I watched with Peyton Turner, which wasn't great. But I, people I respect, like Brady Christensen, if he's around at that point, which I don't envision him being, yeah. somebody that I would possibly entertain. But again, I would have to see the film. I've also heard um, Stone Foresight, the kid from Florida. I watched his 2019 tape and I thought he was horrendous. Mm-hmm. But now everybody got a hold of his tape and he skyrocketed up boards. And he's like six foot eight and he can bend and he can move. So I understand it. it's kind of like a Nate Soldier type of thing. Uh, right. But I, I haven't seen any of his 2020 tape. So hopefully his 2020 tape was better his 2019 tape but uh he's another player that uh i think would fit into that third round possibly has a lot of intriguing traits but i haven't seen that 2020 tape to not like a 2019
1: tape interesting and i know as far as brady christian goes i've seen a decent amount of him just from watching so much zach wilson because i was big on watching all of his tape and he held up a lot but then it's like you got the question of like the competition level they're going up against is just so on, like, it's just like none of the, p- the edges besides Peyton Turner that he matched up against yeah. are ever going to play in the NFL so like it's just so much tougher to evaluate those guys I feel like and the same thing happened with Parrot. but we like what we seen from Pairt at the beginning of the season before the COVID so who knows all right Giants Fan in Charlotte. Wow, we haven't heard from Giants Fan in Charlotte in forever. You, I I'm disappointed to not have heard from This used, Giants Fan in Charlotte used to be our biggest mailbag guy. Didn't miss a single mailbag. Where have you been, Giants Fan in Charlotte? This is the first time you've you've jumped into any big boobander content in forever.
2: Giants Fan in Charlotte is a low-key like excellent person to like follow on Twitter. He okay. always like pops up on my timeline and stuff. Yes. He's he's fun. If this is the guy I'm thinking of and I know we've been through this yeah. several times. Dude, we in didn't the know what the CT we
1: thought it was Connecticut at yeah, first. Yeah, no, it, was it, was Charlotte. A, it was a
2: terrible look. Uh, On all of our parts, but he uh, he puts a lot of good content out there.
1: Nice. Well, he asks us now, if Danny Shelton didn't become available after the beginning of free agency, a very smart signing in my opinion, what do you think their strategy was at nose tackle and three technique? Move Lawrence over, draft a rotation player, something else. And do you think that they draft a player in this class given that five of the seven IDLs are in their final contract years?
2: I do believe that there is a chance that they could select somebody i mean i'm trying to think of the rj mcintosh falls into that bj hill falls into that austin johnson austin johnson falls danny into that shelton, and then danny four. shelton and then obviously you have the fifth one would be mm. and speaks maybe i mean i guess he kind of counts as a defensive tackle yeah so i mean we still have obviously. and then nico lelos i'm not sure how long he's going to be there as an undrafted guy but he's more of a defensive end than a true defensive tackle but regardless. I was thinking, and I've said this on previous podcasts, New York Giants fan in Charlotte, that they would go with someone like Dexter Lawrence because of his size, even though I think he profiles more as an upfield penetrator despite the fact that he's like 346 pounds. But I always thought that they were going to add somebody, whether it be a Danny Shelton type... Or somebody in the draft, whether that be a Tyler Shelvin or an Aline McNeil or somebody like that. Or maybe even the kid Slayton, I think his name is from Florida. I I didn't really see it with him, but he's just a really big body. I did watch his film. He didn't have the balance that I liked or the anchoring ability. Mm -hmm. So I always felt like they were going to add somebody, but they could have possibly gave the first reps to Dexter Lawrence, which I didn't love. So that's why I really liked the Danny Shelton signing. Plays with excellent leverage, can anchor down, can take on double teams, allow linebackers to scrape over top, all of those types of things. So I think their plan was to add somebody and possibly get the first crack to Dexter but I don't think that was their first plan their first plan was to get somebody like Shelton which they did
1: yeah and I think to answer your question I think well I think as far as what they were going to do I think Nick nailed it so I don't really think I have to add more but I'll say this what would I do I think just every offseason proves it over and over Mario Edwards, Austin Johnson now, Danny Shelton, who we have high regards of. You can find an interior offensive lineman for cheap in almost every free agency. So I just don't like the idea too much of using draft capital on this position. I'm just not—I'm never going to get on board with it. It's going to be a lot like running back for me. Though running back, I'm even more open to using draft capital on because you might be able to find a Kamara in round three. You might be able to find a Dalvin Cook type in round two, a Nick Chubb in round two. I mean, Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb, in my mind, are one in two best running backs in the NFL right now. And as far as Kamara goes, what is he, top five? With the contact balance he has and his looseness, you got these guys in round two and three, and you go deeper into round fours and f- and five. On day two, three, you can still find not that level, but you can find a pretty starter quality level with running back. So they are just IDL to me. I feel like you can get your Danny Shelton every year almost in free agency. And you don't even have to pay anything to get him. Like he's a great, he's going to be a great player for the Giants this year. Probably he's going to play a really important role. Hopefully. Well, hopefully. Because he did last year, and he's not going to cost them anything, and the, no draft capital, and no cap space. So, for me, I just, I just don't want to do it. But we'll see what happens there.
2: No, I think that's a fair take.
1: All right, all things Giants. Ask outside of Gregory Rousseau. Who do you think are the big is the, or are the biggest boom or bust type prospects in this class? Ooh. good question.
2: I think when you look at boom, you got to look at the injury guys. So Jalen Phillips, yeah. Rondale Moore, all those kind of guys who sure. have a lot of the injury questions. Because if those injury questions dissipate and they stay healthy and they can reach their potential, then that's going to be awesome for whoever drafts them. Now, I always say this, and I know Dan agrees, and I think this goes understated. A lot of these players' ability—it's just—it really depends on what team ends up selecting them. The wide receiver ends up going to the Chiefs. He's probably <laughs> going to have a better, better upside than going to a team like the Jets or the Giants yeah. or something like that. Right. It really depends on who your coordinator is, how they use you. That's why you see a lot of these guys. Oh yeah, uh, Kyle Van Noy was drafted in the second round by Detroit, and he just flamed out, and it was a bust. And then he goes to New England, and he ends up being one of those key components to a Super Bowl defense that helped lead Tom Brady in that New England Patriots team. I mean, you need to put the players in a position to succeed. And, I mean, there are teams, man, where the general manager, and this has happened in the Giants in the past, where the general manager and the coaching staff do not see eye to eye and they're not cohesive. And the general manager selects a player and tells the coaching staff to figure it out. And the coaching staff's like, this guy doesn't really fit. I didn't really want this guy. It puts the kid into a really crappy situation. Kid didn't ask for that. But if the kid doesn't fit in what the what the the coach's role that he wants him to play what's going to happen he can go to another team do another role and be excellent that's the crazy part about football that's just a lot different than basketball And i mean basketball has elements of that to it right. but football if you just don't fit into that system you're misdrafted which happens all the time then your career could just be sunk and your career could be over and, and i and i, I find out I, like i look at someone like a uh i mean a gregory Rousseau, for instance yeah what kind of system is he going to fit into like what what's best for someone like that like a four three base end Like, I'm not really 100% sure. Could he go to a Giants? I don't really think he has the bend kind of ability that we're going to be looking for in an edge rusher. Or the burst. Or the burst. So... I wouldn't put him. Nah. For me, well, well, biggest uh, boom, I'm going with those injury guys. Now, for the biggest bust, I think Rousseau is probably that first name that comes to mind. Now, Now, I'm kind of looking at who else could it be. I love the player I'm about to bring up. Love the player I'm about to bring up. Do not think he's going to be a bust. Do not think he's going to be a bust. But... Jock, Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. Mm. I think he's gonna be a great player. But can he be a bust if he goes to a system that does not know how to use yeah. it? Like an Isaiah Simmons last year. Right. We loved Isaiah Simmons. There was every reason to love Isaiah Simmons. Went to Arizona, was playing like eight snaps a game at one point. So <laughs> in a bad system for him. Ex- that's kind of my point. Now I hope a team that drafts Jeremiah Usu Koromoa uses him correctly as a that hybrid safety can play apex defender can play in the slot. Maybe you don't want to put him, you know first down as a Mike Linebacker because that's not necessarily his game there's ways to use him just depends on the mind that gets the players and I think that's so pivotal to maximizing a lot of these dudes
1: yeah I think you're spot on for me the biggest boomer bust prospect in this draft class is Zach Wilson the quarterback out of BYU who's going to go to the Jets I love Zach Wilson but I qualify that with every single quarterback ever basically with the exception of Andrew Luck and my opinion Joe Burrow but that could have been argued and debated that he was not one of them And now I'll put Trevor Lawrence at that. Has bust potential. That's the nature of the position. That's the nature, no matter where you draft him, that's the nature of the position. So he has big-time bust potential. I mean, he played behind a really good offensive line at BYU. He barely, if at all, played any top 25 competition there, Uh, as far as opponents go. There are issues regarding his ability to process mentally because he had a lot of people believe that he was kind of more of a one-read type quarterback, somebody who, and again, that system was really, that system was awesome. I love the coordinator there. That was my number one pick to replace jason garrett to bring grimes over instead he went to baylor um yeah baylor to play with my my all, my alma mater's old defensive coordinator there who's now the head coach there um but he's going to but again that system was really flashy and was really uh, creative and it gave him some really easy reads i think but on the flip side that kind of arm talent and touch is impossible to teach and that kind of arm talent and touch is what we saw with Justin Herbert. And that kind of arm talent touch is what we saw with Patrick Mahomes. And it's what and it's not touch for Josh Allen. He's really improved that aspect of his game. But just pure arm talent was there there too. And all those guys had those same question marks. And when none of them were sure things. Mahomes, Herbert, Allen. And yet somehow those have been the guys that when you bet on have recently hit big for you. Because in the end, if you can get the right coaching and if these kids are willing to improve their game and work on it, you're never going to be able to get the guys who could throw the 10 to 15 yard outs like Wilson can on a rope, on target, with the perfect spot to yak. And then also from off balance base with his feet not set, moving to his right or moving forward in the pocket and then just dropping dimes 60 yards in the air. It's just, you just can't teach that type of stuff. And so for me, he's my biggest boomer bust prospect.
2: Yeah, I know. Those quarterbacks, I mean, that's huge with the landing spot, obviously. Yeah, Quarterbacks, like whoever's going three. If I it's... hate that he's going to the Jets.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm so sad because I'm so all in on Zach Wilson, and he might bust me just because he's on that stupid Jets team, but I'm hopeful. And this is – I hate to say I'm hopeful because – I will say this, and me and Nick have talked about this off-pod plenty of times. We, do, we don't We do care about the Jets unless the Jets get really good and the Giants stay bad because those fans are going to get unsufferable, insufferable. Those Jets fans are going to get insufferable if they're great and the Giants are bad. Because don't you remember those years during the Rex Ryan years that they like... <sighs> basically the fans the fan base of the jets treat those as like super bowl years because they made two AF even though they only made two afc championship appearances they didn't even win either afc championship but they traded them as super bowl years and they were insufferable then we're the new team new york you guys are the younger brothers all that crap they used to talk to giants fan so i don't really want them to get great if the giants stay bad but if both teams are great i wouldn't care personally at all to be honest because they're in the afc who cares but zach wilson man i am a little bit nervous but i'm going there but i hope joe douglas can build him an offensive line because that's what he needs
2: and whatever quarterback goes to three whether that be justin fields right. mac jones or trey lance it's probably going to work out because you get the
1: yeah kyle shanahan uh experience Trey williams kyle cool. shanahan oh, you get you get uh, brandon iu george you get Debo kittle. samuel george kittle mostly kyle shanahan yeah
2: it's 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 insane yep uh oh, this one's for me so you want to read that
1: yeah sure um Nick uh sorry Tom Schaffcom asks Nick Filato I'm trying to understand how why many feel we can't draft or it's an overreach to select Jalen Phillips with the 11th pick yes there are medical concerns but if those are put to rest by the medical team why couldn't we select him I
2: think it's just because the medical medical concerns are head injuries yeah which are so prevalent in the NFL today and I know the NFL is doing a or at least attempting to do a solid job to eliminate the the head injuries but I mean, let's be honest here. This is football. You have grown men who weigh over 200 pounds running full speed at each other and it's hard to remove the head from the game. So if Jalen Phillips takes another bad concussion, it's just, it gives a lot of people uncertainty and that's why he's that's why he's sliding down boards but I mean Jalen Phillips was like the first overall recruit in that draft class but like starting in this draft period nobody was really talking about him even in the first round and then people started revisiting his tape and at least I'm talking on the media side I'm sure the NFL had their ducks in a row there but I honestly think it comes down to the medicals man and Dan said it before and I think it's fair he only really has that one year of production but when you when the word quit gets thrown into your evaluation he quit football it's not something that a lot of people want to trust at a top 15 pick now I think the quit obviously that's something to do with the concussions it also had something to do with a off the field that it was like a scooter or like Shooter a, a accident. scooter accident where he hurt i think it was his ankle i believe so there's a lot of things there hard for me and dan to kind of weigh into that but teams have that so i think that's the reason is just because as you already said in your question tom those medical concerns with the head could certainly be something that's reoccurring it wasn't just like a broken hand or something right. like that
1: yeah, and sometimes you know you could be you could be re- not requested, but you could be suggested by a medical team at the next level. If he gets a concussion in year one, somebody might suggest to him you should retire from football, literally as early as year one. If he gets another concussion, like that's possible. You've heard that before. Sterling Shepherd talked about how he got so many concussions he considered retiring from football. So that's in play always with these concussion guys. One, but I don't think it's just medical concerns here. I think more so it's the more the more important concern, and this is something me and Nick will never be able to answer. Is how much does he love the game of football, and how much does he want to become the best edge rusher in football? Because he did retire from football at one point. So if you retire from football at one point, that's a question that needs to be asked. And so I, I can't answer that question for you, honestly, Tom. But I mean, that's that's that that needs to be kept in mind. It's not just the injuries; it's also the 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 key thing. Do you love football, and do you want to be amazing at your craft?
2: And he and he's putting on Twitter. He's like, I do love football. And yeah. He very
1: well could, but there's just no way
2: for Dan or I to know yes. that. Now, you want to talk about his traits, and you want to not talk about his injuries? He's a damn good football player. He's a very, very good football player. And honestly, if the Giants end up with him, I would rather it be a trade down. But if the Giants were to end up with him, I believe they added a quality player in the first round. Like we say, all that other stuff needs to be sussed out by the Giants internally.
1: And he's the guy that me and Nick would be happiest with at edge if they took 1-11, at correct? Yes. And that's not even close for me. He's the only one I would even... At all, on I think I'm higher
2: on Aziz than you are. You are, yeah. Yeah, I would say. Is Aziz your edge two from he the guys He would be my second
1: seen? guy, especially for the giant system. He would definitely be, my yeah. Edge too.
2: yeah. Not a, like I mean, I think Jalen Phillips. He wasn't asked he's to just drop a into coverage. Smaller
1: than I wanted to be. That's Is my he, problem with Aziz. He's just a little smaller from than a height I wanted standpoint. He's got a them height, long yeah. arms though. Yeah, he has. The, he has long arms, but six foot two and like I don't know. It just seems seems it seems like he's just not that elite guy you take at eleven.
2: No, and I think that's fair to say. I yeah. would definitely think that's fair. It's more of a late round one pick. If yeah. you're kind of breaking it down that simplistically, I, I do believe yeah. that's a a fair way to kind of engage them.
1: They're just never good edges. It's just overall, there's such. A, I mean, that one class had him with Brian Burns. Like that, they should have got one that class. They, they Burns and Sweat. They they had their chance there, but you know Burns, man, they didn't three really three
2: picks in for the first round. Yeah. too, man.
1: Burns, they never had a chance that he went one pick before Lawrence, I think. But maybe in a trade down, but they could have took the risk on Sweat. I don't know. It just seems like so rare to get these elite edges. I don't know if I would consider anyone on the Burns level in this entire— I actually know I wouldn't consider it. I loved Brian Burns coming out. I had him six overall. I would not consider Phillips even on that level. As far as Sweat, I was concerned with the off-field stuff. What about
2: Josh Allen? where would you have him in that? Oh, I had
1: Allen right up there, too, with that elite class, for <sighs> sure. He's, he's
2: good, man. Yeah. yeah, He's toiling away in Jacksonville
1: toiling away but it hasn't having good production though (laughs) just that no one notices because it's jacksonville jaguars um but i just don't know if these guys are at that level but who knows all right before we wrap up we're going to take some questions from itunes because we always promise that if you ask a question there you're guaranteed to get an answer so the first one is from client nine and he says question for the guys guys thanks for the stream of player evals i don't care how little sleep dan gets keep them coming laugh out loud I like that line. All right, my question is on the draft. Are you guys going through your e- as you guys are going through your evals? Are you finding the depth at two positions the Giants might be considering, wide receiver and offensive line, is more compelling one way or another? In other words, for drafting purposes, does the depth at both positions make you think the Giants might be leaning more towards one direction or another, knowing that prospect might still be available, knowing that prospects that are good might still be available in rounds two to three to find players that might actually be contributors?
2: I like this question and you want to know kind of a weird thing if you throw the edge into this equation would does it make sense that the Giants would go with their top rated edge because those other two positions have more talent in them mm-hmm. whereas the edge class there are some guys you like later but it, I feel like wide receiver and especially interior offensive yeah. line has more talent than the edge position so we're going edge early and then taking a josh palmer later or ben cleveland or an aaron banks later would that be a course of action that realistically happened is something we have talked about and do you think that's even something the giants are thinking about
1: that's a good question i don't know how to what do you think on that
2: i mean i think it's something i would hope they would just go with bpa and like i said like i said i do believe that jay like i think there's an affinity for the pits Jalen waddle and uh devonta smith uh, Devontae Smith show. I think, I think there is a fi- an affinity for those guys. But, I mean, we've kind of laid it out last couple podcasts with the interior offensive line and how we think it is pretty deep. Yeah. I do believe there are wide receivers. Amir Smith-Marset, Josh Palmer, Austin Watkins, guys who may not be as, obviously, impactful as some of these top-level guys or even close to being impactful, but can be solid players, similar a la to Darius Slayton when he was right. selected in the fifth round out of Auburn. But then you look at the edge group, and I mean, I think Carlos Basham is a guy who's probably going to, he could be selected in round one, like one of those teams a little bit later, versatile type of big guy. And then you have the guys like Janarius Robinson a little bit later, the from Florida State, who's a freak type of athlete, but you turn on his film and it's just like, oh, I wish you were, I wish you translated that athleticism right. to more production. You have guys like Ronnie Perkins, who has his issues, Quincy Rocher. Somebody who, I mean, we've talked about on this podcast. I would like him a little bit later, but it doesn't necessarily inspire, inspire hope. Where I think an Aaron Banks or a Ben Cleveland can step in yes. and be a starter year right. one. I don't think I think these guys are more bit players. You know, more so than that,
1: what you're saying is you can think and maybe step in and be an upgrade to Shane Lemieux year one.
2: Yes, I mean, I would or say. Or Will Hernandez, right. for that matter. Uh, yes, I mean, like, Will Hernandez was not great, dude. No, he was not great. But he, he was
1: better than Shane Lemieux. Yeah, well, considerably on in
2: pass D. protection, especially, especially,
1: he was, and he wasn't yeah. far enough behind in run protection. Consider it, so, like on a scale, how much better he was in pass protection was a wider gap than how much worse he was in run blocking. I think so that's he's fair. A yes, better well, player.
2: yes, I think that's fair.
1: Yeah, so at least on film. Yeah, so well, uh, I think that's. Uh, I don't have the question in front of me. Yeah,
2: but uh, is there any? Already... You answered
1: that right. I mean, yeah. I think you you nailed that one. I would say ultimately, client nine. I'm looking for BPA almost all the time. Having said that. I agree with you. Sometimes you have to take these things into consideration. It's tough. But I think ultimately, if you draft the best player available at all times, you're going to ultimately, as long as it's a position of importance and you're not drafting running backs or overdrafting pass uh, interior defensive linemen who can't consistently rush the passer, you're for the most part going to win out. Like for example, last year, I remember during the draft, I tweeted this out right after the pick. Darnay Holmes was my favorite pick of the whole draft, and everyone was talking about that as the worst pick the Giants made. And I was like, this guy flashes some first-round potential when I've watched him. Like, his earlier film, his 2019 film wasn't great. He was playing through an angular injury. In 2018, he was shutting down the likes of, like, Marquise Brown and, like, NF – and and the dude from Stanford who went to the fucking Eagles. (laughs) That's Let's forget about that one. (laughs) (laughs) J. Shaw. Whatever. He was a good college receiver. He was, yeah. Did well against him. And And he's he's much bigger, too. He's much bigger, too. So, like – I don't care. Like I, I, everyone said it was a bad pick. I was like, "This is actually their best pick because they're not drafting for need. They're drafting a guy who should have been picked forty picks earlier." And he's. And I think him.
2: you were ultimately right, and I was one of the people who I was a little questionable yeah. on the pick. I didn't hate the pick, but I was like, if there's a pick that I don't love, it was that one. And, and it was I don't a- blame you. You watch
1: his twenty nineteen film, and, watched, and it, watched, it wasn't great.
2: His twenty nineteen film. Uh, who what? I think it's he's what, playing hurt. 2019 film against Washington State was, like, so hard to watch. Yeah. I think he gave up three touchdowns. You in that. told me that, and you're
1: like, I'm not going to put this on the podcast because it's too negative. And
2: I was it's like, I, so I am not It's so negative. But, he no, played. I'm pretty sure I mentioned it, but I, I didn't want to kill him because I did. I was aware of the fact that he had injuries in the right. preseason, and then he injured it, I think, again early in the season, and then he played through the injury. Yes. So there was a lot of things kind of going against that him. That
1: whole play-through-the-injury type prospects. It's, such a, it's not a grain of salt that needs to be taken into consideration. Like... If you're playing through Hurt, you might not, the film you're putting on, like, same thing with Tyler Biatich, like, look like a completely different player in 2018 and 2019. Then he ends up being a value pick in 2020 to the Cowboys. (laughs) It
2: could get you in trouble, i.e., Eric Flowers in his rookie season. Yeah, you're
1: right. Yeah. But that's like a fan excuse. I'm always playing Hurt. All right, let's get to the next one here. It's from Toby. He says, I stumbled upon this podcast a couple of months ago. Been a Giants fan since 1981. I feel it is the most in-depth, informative Giants draft coverage. Plus, they had a good pulse on the team. I know the draft is a crapshoot, so I really look forward to seeing what the Giants do. This is not the Coughlin's bags 4-3, so I really do not think Edge is a high priority. The Giants are moving into the modern age, so I'd be surprised to see them see a wide receiver taken high. Although the old Giant fan in me wants to see an unstoppable D and would love Parsons, are his off-field issues really preventing him from being considered?
2: It's what we're hearing. It's kind of hard for Dan and I, like I said earlier, to really gauge, but it's kind of what we're hearing. We're hearing just random reports and who knows what's true these days, but the fact that there is a past that links Micah Parsons to some things that probably aren't something you want to add to your team, and now the reports are kind of coming out of what NFL teams may think or not think could be just bullshit, but at the same time, it's just hard for us to gauge. I mean, that's the only thing I think I can really say about uh, Micah Parsons and his character issues.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I am just with Nick. I have nothing. We don't, we're not going to be able to add, unfortunately. And I appreciate the, the nice write-up, but as far as those off-field stuff, we don't know the player. But I will say this. One other concern that I voiced a little bit on previous podcasts is he is an off-ball linebacker, and if they don't feel like he can be an immediate threat or, or, or eventually develop into a really big threat off the edge, it's a little bit more low ceiling unless they also think he can become a Luke Kuechly or a dominant coverage linebacker. And so that's another part of the projection you have to make because he's really good at what they already have on the roster, what Blake Martinez provides them. I think he can be step into the Blake Martinez role and play a really well role, but not even fully there because Martinez is so smart and savvy and that takes years of playing in the NFL to get there. But he can move downhill really well, but I don't. all the other so stuff... So well. So well. Better than anyone in class. But the other stuff I'm not so sure about. So I don't think he's as clear-cut cookie-cutter uh on field i guess i should say as maybe he's made out to be mark wilkin says great work as always i've been listening to your podcast for over a year now and i've really enjoyed all of your in and offseason analysis there's no giants pod that gives the level of insight expertise on building and evaluating info roster so kudos to you both as we get closer to the draft pick 11 yeah thanks man (laughs) i've sort of settled on two preferred options option one draft slater smith or Waddle. option two trade back and draft an edge There's a third less appealing option, however, that I was curious to get your take on. We know Slater will be there at 8, but not likely at 11. I know you guys are all about acquiring more draft darts so you can get more chance to hit, but I believe you guys are also into investing resources in the O-line, just not sure if Slater is worth it versus waiting to draft Smith or Waddle at 11. In any event, what would a trade look like and would you do it? According to the Walter football chart, it would take either a third-round pick to move up or maybe a fourth plus a sixth.
2: Yeah, I would have to have the trade... uh the trade chart right in front of me. But I, I'm just not about trading up right now, especially when if there's going to be five, even four quarterbacks. It's just going to push way too much talent. And I think the Giants can select a really good player there at 11. If it For me, it's stay at 11 or trade down. I'm not really necessarily looking to trade up.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think this question would probably be better for me, um, Mark, if it was about Sewell. I'm more interested in Sewell than I am Slater. And I love Slater, but Sewell to me is just like potentially... Hall of Fame, like, upside. Um, and I'm just all about upside, really, when it comes to these guys, because I don't see much of a low floor for to I think he's going to be a good player regardless. So I'd still say no, though, unfortunately. And it's weird because both me and Nick are not really big fans of drafting wide receivers early. But this year, we just feel like they're such good players, those three, that we're fine taking them early. And so, honestly, I'd rather just sit there, take them, and, and, and keep those picks because, again, the Giants just don't have enough picks. They go 80 picks in a row without a draft pick on day three that's not good they need to fix that some way they can't go the opposite direction there so I think unfortunately I just can't do it all right Jamie DCY says Joseph Asai in the second round hey guys I'm a big fan of your podcast it's helped me get back into the Giants again since I kind of stopped watching him for a little while well that's cool to hear I was hoping to hear your thoughts on Joseph Asai in the second round at 42 I personally think he's a better prospect than Gregory Rousseau and believe he's got a high ceiling I may be a bit biased though since my roommate is a Texas fan
2: Ooh, we got a Texas roommate roommate. fan (laughs) in the house. Yeah, so Joseph Asai, I watched this film a little while ago, so he ended up playing linebacker for the first several years at Texas, and then he made the transition to edge in 2020. And he wasn't refined, I would say, but he has those explosive traits. I felt like he flashed some use of hands up the arc, ability to string some moves together, but it definitely wasn't a finished product quite yet. He played in a weird... uh, Texas. i'm trying to remember who the defensive coordinator was i think it was a uh, todd orlando it was like a three two six oh, type defense day, yeah. and he played linebacker there but then under pete kwitakowski i believe it was a four down front and Asai lined up as the edge in the four down front mainly it was like two edge guys not defensive ends with two big defensive linemen kind of eating space and we've seen that kind of front from Patrick Graham and I felt like Osai definitely still needs some development I think he has a good athletic profile just don't have Tevin Jenkins block him and he may be okay but uh, what I have written up on him I just pulled up my thing. Osai is a bit raw as an edge player and he seemed to struggle diagnosing the offense as a linebacker on the second level. There's still a lot of appeal because he's flashed great playmaking ability, pass rushing upside and he's a long athlete that's moldable. Osai's versatility will be valued by someone like Patrick Graham and that fit makes sense. Just not in the first round for the Giants. Osai's on-field character and how hard he plays on every snap would be really appreciated by coaches like Joe Judge. And I think that's something that really popped out in the film because Joseph Asai, back suit pre- backside pressure, back suit pressure, all that kind of stuff was amazing. The guy was never not hustling, very, very high football character on the field, and he has the athletic traits that I feel like can be tapped and developed into being a solid edge rusher but uh, there are probably other guys I like a little bit better than Joseph Asai in the second round but I don't believe it's a terrible um, terrible name to throw out there
1: nice I'm going to defer to Nick on that one he's done a lot more work on Asai than I have and we'll move on to the last review and question this is from Bag O Stupid oh my god this is going to be a troll isn't it let's see best X's and O's out there okay maybe not maybe not Man, am I happy to have found Big Blue banter during this draft season. The Giants fan whose only exposure has been Big Blue kickoff, this show has been a breath of fresh air. While I love what John has to offer on bbk paul toes the company line too often and that's just not what i'm looking for wow this guy i don't know if this guy's chilling me or what's going on with that but i love to hear it i'll buy you a beer bag of stupid if you ever uh if you ever actually i gotta find a way to pin this review so this one's at the top from now on says big blue banter is the opposite it's always objective even if that sometimes means hurting the feelings of the homer fans more importantly, these guys know their stuff and I'm learning so much X's and O's about draft prospects. I would usually be going into this season knowing nothing about. I'm an old timer, so my son had to show me how to listen to the pod and how to leave this review. Here's my question for you guys. What, uh, what, or my question for you guys would be, what would be the least you would need to see from Daniel Jones in 2021 to know that he's their guy meaning, moving forward? It could be wins, stats, or anything else. What's the minimum?
2: So minimum for
1: me is you need wins. You you need to be able
2: to win, but you need to just be able to generate offense as well. You need that offense to become more explosive. You need him to get through his progressions a little bit quicker, which I felt like we saw at a solid rate last year. We saw some games where he was moving through it really, really quickly, but I also think the offense held him back a little bit. Remember, that was his first year in the offense, and the offense... I think Dan and I would agree is probably not from a passing standpoint as easy for a quarterback as say Pat Shermer's offense, the one that he was in in 2019, and David Cutcliffe's offense, the one that he was yes. in at Duke. So I think in a second year in the offense, we just I personally want to see more comfortability, get the football out of his hands a little bit quicker and read the defense in a more concise manner in a more clean manner because there were times where he just he had guys open and he just didn't see him and that was really evident in that Tampa Bay game so that's kind of what I want to see from him but you need to have upticks in scoring and you need to have upticks in statistics and hopefully those two things combined will lead to upticks and wins and that will give me that warm and fuzzy that Daniel Jones could possibly be the guy
1: yeah I think this is a great question bago stupid um great review too by the way I forgot I guess I gotta find a way to pin this thing I'll leave... I have two things, but my main one is this. Passing offense. We need to see more games of 250-ish yards passing and less of what we saw so consistently in 2019 and in 2020, which is the 175-yard type passing game. You just can't win in the NFL with anything less than 250 in the passing game, and he's got to start doing that. Now, there was one game where he was lighting it up as a passer, and that was that Cincinnati Bengals game. If you look at it through like the being the middle of the third quarter he was already at like 225 yards passing or maybe even closer to 250 he was really ch- chucking the ball around with consistency with accuracy and he was moving it vertically and you just need that to be let not one of 16 games or whatever he played 12 games you need that to be closer to honestly 10 games like i'm going to need him to get to 250 minimum in a lot of these games and that's also a product of jason garrett and his conservative style and his three plays to get to the six it's not all daniel's fault but at the same time, if you're asking what I want to see, I want to see more passing yards. The other thing that needs to happen is he needs to get a lot more efficient as a passer in the red zone. His red zone passing needs to... We need to turn these red zone trips into more touchdowns and less field goals. So those are the two areas for me with Daniel. If both of those things improve, I'll be pretty confident with him moving into 2022.
2: He was also hurt in that Cincinnati game. That was the game yeah. that he ended up getting hurt, and then he missed the Seattle game, and he came back against Arizona, and it was like, eh.
1: mm-hmm. Yeah
2: so I mean he didn't even get to finish that game out
1: yeah exactly alright that's all the time we have for, and that's all the questions we have for today which is nice we got through a bunch of these bad boys Thank you again for everyone who's tuning in and sending them in. As always, please leave us a rating, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Make sure you hit the download button for every podcast. Find us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. That's NYBigBlueBanter. And join us every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on the locker room for a live Q&A call-in show. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.